0: Welcome back to Hopeful Harvest Acres. This is Abby. On today's episode, we are in week 13 of the Excellent Wife series titled Biblical Submission Basis of the Wife's Protection. If you would, grab your Bibles, a cup of coffee, and let's jump right in. Hello, ladies. Welcome back to the podcast. Glad that you're joining me as always. As I was doing my introduction, I was thinking about how I haven't taken the time to explain where the name of this podcast has came from. And so maybe you've been following along, listening each week. Maybe you are new here. So I wanted to explain where the title Hopeful Harvest Acres came from. If you know a little bit of our backstory, my husband and I two and a half years ago, made the decision to move from our house in town back to my hometown. We rented a property for about six months. And in that six months, we found a piece of property on two and a half acres where we would be able to raise our family, have a small farm and a garden. And we have been here for two years in September. And when I was thinking about the name of this podcast, as a Christian, as a believer, the hope that I have in Christ is what I cling to most as I walk through my days here on this earth. So the title hopeful just seems so natural when I was thinking of a name to call this podcast. In regards to harvest, when we think about planting food, sowing seeds, our hope is that we will ultimately have a a harvest to show and that is dependent on the Lord. The Bible tells us when we look at this from a spiritual perspective that as believers we are to go out and sow seeds, meaning we're to go and share the good news of the gospel with all people in hopes that people will give their life to Christ. Now we can't be the Holy Spirit. We cannot convict dead hearts and have them come alive. This is only the regenerating work of God himself. However, we have the great privilege to sow the seeds in hopes that we will see a harvest, whether that's a physical harvest, if you're talking about planting a garden and being able to have some corn and potatoes to show for the work of your hands, or whether it's getting to see actual people give their life to Jesus. And then when it comes to acres. Well, I just kind of threw that on there if we are living on a farm. And when I started my podcast, it was the intent was sharing with you all what we were doing on our farm. And it's funny how God has kind of reprioritized what I need to be focusing on the most in this life. And two years ago, when we moved to this property, I was very much all about homesteading, raising our own meat and our own vegetables and becoming more self-sufficient. And while that is still a priority of mine, I now have shifted my focus from making sure that we're eating healthy organically and growing our own food. Yes, I be- I still believe that that's very important, but I have realigned my priorities with what God says is Is most important and that is making sure that I'm pursuing a relationship with Jesus myself and that I am teaching my children about the Lord in hopes that they will give their lives to him one day and that I am being a light to the world around me but as we're studying in this book right now the excellent wife book by Martha Peace we are seeing that as wives we have a biblical call to live a life in a way that is pleasing to God as his chosen children, as women created in his image, we have a calling that we are to pursue. And so this is my greatest high calling is to ultimately pursue the Lord Jesus and to become a helper to my husband, to love him, to respect him, and to submit to him. And so that's what we're going to talk about this week in chapter 13. We're going to discuss biblical submission, I hope that you will be blessed. So as we talk about the basis of the wife's protection, I first want to address the issue that there are two different views when it comes to submission. One, we may have a doormat theology, meaning that we believe that a person is to suffer for the Lord Jesus' sake. And yes, we know that there will be times that we will suffer as Christians, it is a given, but we shouldn't intentionally be putting ourselves in situations where we are suffering for no reason. Some people believe within their realm of how they interpret the Bible and what they teach their church body, that the more that a person suffers, that the more spiritual they actually are. And this is a wrong view of submission. And then on the flip side, we need to understand that there is going to be a feminist view. This is the liberated women's movement, meaning that women can and should be allowed to do anything that a man can do, that there are no gender role distinctions that should be placed to do so would be wrong. And this is also not a right view because we know we're going to discuss this here in just a little bit, that there are specific roles that need to be carried out by men and women. Although we are one in Christ and we are equal, God shows no partiality. We are unique in the fact that he created us male and female. So as we go through this chapter, we're going to look this week at five biblical principles concerning the wife's submission. They are a wife is to be submissive to her husband in all things unless he asks her to sin. They are also number two, a submissive wife is to not be afraid of doing the right thing. Number three, a wife is to be submissive even if her husband is not a Christian. Number four, a wife does not dishonor the word of God. And then number five, a wise wife will seek training and counsel on submission from a godly older woman. And so we're going to break down these five principles more great in greater detail here. We're going to have specific scriptures that we're going to address. Once we get done with discussing these five biblical principles concerning the wife's submission, we're also going to look at specific ways that we as wives are not submissive. So come along with me as we break these five principles down and we address areas where we may be sinning and put our faith and trust in Jesus and become the wives that God always intended for us to be. All right, jumping into principle number one, which is that as wives, we are to submit to our husbands in all things unless they ask us to sin. So as we go through these five principles I want you to remember that we are to put aside all falsehood and that we should not have our minds influenced by the culture and the world around us. So let's get rid of the doormat theology that we are just to be walked all over. And let's also get rid of this feminist view that we are to not have gender role distinctions because we know the Bible tells us otherwise we know that Christ is the head of the church. And so the church as Christ's bride is to submit to him. And we have joy in doing so. And the same is true, seeing that God has put the man, the husband to be head over the wife, and we will find joy in submitting ourselves to the authority of our husbands. So when it talks about submitting ourselves in all things unless they ask us to sin, this comes from the verse found in Ephesians five twenty-two and 24, where it reads, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. The word be subject to in Greek is referring to a military rank. And how Martha describes this is that when you look at military men, there may be one that is over a group of individuals. This in no way means that that individual is smarter, meaning more intelligent, more superior in their status. But the fact is, is that they have been put in that specific role Because it's going to bring about order, peace, and ultimately joy. And so, as we look at the Trinity, we see that being modeled for us with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then we also see that being put into practice when we look at several different spheres of society with the state, with the church, and within the family unit, and the fact that a wife is to submit to her husband. But we must remember that like I said earlier there is no partiality with God Romans 2:11 and also in Galatians 3:28 there is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus now we know that there are some individuals known as egalitarians that when they read this specific scripture They believe that this is addressing the fact that there are not any specific gender roles because the Bible says that we are neither male nor female. We are one in Christ. But this is not to totally take away from the fact that when God set Adam and Eve in the garden, that when he created Adam out of the dust of the ground, he formed Eve, woman, from his rib. Eve was not created from the dust as Adam was, and Adam wasn't created for Eve but rather Eve from Adam, Eve for Adam. And so we must always go back to that reality, even though we know that yes, we are all one in Jesus Christ, but there are unique specific roles that we need to be fulfilling. Martha says that God is not partial to males or females, although equal in that regard, the wife should take the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of submissive servanthood to carry out her God-intended role in the marriage. A perfect example is Jesus, friends. When we look at Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, it reads, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. You see, Jesus was not inferior to the father. They were equal. The same is true with the wife of and a husband. The wife is not inferior to the husband, but just as Christ subordinated himself to the will of the father, we too as wives need to submit to our husbands because that's the plan that God has for the family unit. Our role is to be our husband's helper. God knew that husbands were going to need help, and so we would do well to fulfill that role well. In Genesis 2, 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And in 1 Corinthians eleven nine, For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Ladies, as we go through and talk about each of these principles, and as we go through each of these chapters, for that matter, we see that Martha's book is saturated with scripture. What I want to encourage you to do is that obviously I want you to listen and hear these scriptures that are being spoken, but if you are having a hard time wrestling with biblical submission, may I encourage you to go through these specific passages. So for instance, First Corinthians 11, maybe it would be beneficial, actually I know it would be beneficial to you, to read through the entire book of First Corinthians, get a bigger picture, see what's happening, and then specifically look at chapter 11 of First Corinthians so that you're not just isolating the text, but rather you see what's the bigger picture of what God is is trying to communicate. We see here very clearly in 1 Corinthians eleven nine 9 that God says indeed man was not created for the woman's sake but woman for the man's sake. It's pretty straightforward. So when we think about biblical submission if we don't like the idea of it well if we don't like it then we are saying we don't believe God's word to be true. It very clearly tells us that as women we were created for men. Not the other way around. Men were not created for men women. So if your husbands are not asking you to sin, we are to submit in all things. Now on the other hand, if your husband in any way is asking you to sin, which we'll discuss specific examples here just a little bit, we are told that we are to obey God rather than men. But let's remember that our heart attitude is always important. So if our husbands are asking us to sin in any way, We need to address our hearts and we need to approach them in love and respect as we explain to them why we have to submit to god rather than to what they're asking us to do examples of how husbands ask their wives to sin number one the husband's command is that he forbids you to go to church God's command that we see in Hebrews 10.25 is that we are to not forsake the assembling of ourselves of ourselves with other believers. And so what this is meaning is that when it comes to the Lord's day, whenever we come together as the body of Christ to worship the Lord, to hear the public reading of his word... This is a command from God that we are not to forsake doing this together. So if your husband is asking you to not go to church, you would have to obey God rather than your husband's request. Now, with this in mind, Martha gives an example of doing this in a respectful manner, explaining to your husband that you are to obey God, and that as long as your attitude is kind and loving, A lot of the times she has seen husbands be understanding that the wife goes to church as long as the wife is not harping on him or making him feel guilty about him not going along with her. And then she also talks about examples when maybe your husband wants to plan a trip or take you to do something on a Sunday. Don't be so strict with your church attendance that you can't ever go and enjoy doing something with him on a Sunday if he's unwilling to go to church with you. But in the event that your husband asks you to not go to church, this would be where you would have to submit to God rather than to man. The next command is if your husband would forbid you to talk about God with your kids, with your children. In Proverbs 1 verses 7 and 8, it reads, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So again, Martha says that for a husband to ask his wife to not teach the children about God, about the Lord Jesus, this would be an example of him asking her to sin. Now, Martha gives more examples for how as women, if you're in a situation like this where your husband doesn't wanna hear you talk about God all evening after he gets home from work and doesn't wanna hear about God at the dinner table, There are ample opportunities where you're going to be able to still teach your kids. For example, you could perhaps catch your kids when they're getting off the school bus and teach them at that time, maybe before bed. If you're the one putting the kids to bed, you can have opportunities to teach them then. Maybe when you're getting them ready for school in the morning, just make sure that you're being respectful and that you're not putting down their dad for not teaching them whenever he is present. And, you know, kids do catch on and kids are not dumb. And so if they ask questions like, why doesn't dad instruct me in these things? Make sure that you are going in prayer to the Lord and that you're prepared to answer these questions. And when you do answer them, that you are loving your husband, respecting him, and that you're honoring God and how you are answering these questions that your children are asking. And so we need to do our best to not be offensive to our unbelieving husbands. If our husbands are asking us to not teach the kids, we need to let him know in a respectful way that we must obey God. The next command listed is that if your husband is asking you to participate in immorality or pornography, and it reads in Ephesians five three, but do not let immorality or any impurity even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So examples of this could be that he's asking you, obviously, to watch porn with him before you're engaging in sexual relations. If he is asking you to um, do any type of masturbation that's not involving him, um, that would be an example of immorality. If he is engaging in talk in a dirty way where he is wanting to do imaginary play As far as like imagining having sex with other people, this would be signs of immorality. If your husband's asking you to go to a strip club with him, where there's going to be naked (laughs) men or women, this would be an example of that as well. And so Martha says that if your husband has a problem with sexual lust, that it's very common for her in her practice, in her years of counseling, to see men husbands trying to draw their wives into the sexual lusts as well. And women can develop a problem with pornography and sinful thoughts if they are engaging in this type of material. She says, depending on whether the husband is a Christian or not, she must use the appropriate provisions God has given her for protection, these will maximize her husband's opportunity to repent. So we'll talk about this in a little bit. In regards to if your husband's a Christian, we are to reprove people. So if your husband is in any way is asking you to participate in pornography or immorality, you would have to obey God rather than your husband. The next command is if a Christian husband is forbidding you to reprove him. So just mention this. But in a Galatians six one, it reads, "Brethren." Even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. So again, if your husband is a Christian, we can reprove our husbands with scripture. We can reprove them with the truth of God's word in hopes that if they are truly Christians, they've truly been born again, and they have the spirit dwelling inside of them, they will see their sin and they will be sorrowful over their sin. And there will be a desire inside of them to change because The Lord Jesus tells us to be holy just as he is holy. Now, if they're an unbeliever, we still have the biblical command to reprove our husbands, but we're going to have to go about it not in a way that you are shoving scripture down their throat, but rather that you are doing it in a loving manner. Martha says some wrongly believe that a Christian wife should never reprove her Christian husband, that it is based on the erroneous interpretation of 1 Peter 3, 1, where it says that husbands are to be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives. This passage refers specifically to a woman who is married to an unbeliever. But it can't be rightfully applied to marriage in which both husband and wife are believers. They are not only husband and wife, but they are also brother and sister in the Lord. Christian marriage partners are to help each other become as much like the Lord Jesus as possible since they are fellow heirs of the grace of life. Now, with all things, when we are seeking to approach our husbands in regards to areas where they're asking us to sin, our hearts matter. Our hearts always matter because... That is our true attitude. What comes forth from our heart is going to be heard and seen by the things that we say and by how we're living our lives. So we need to be going to our husbands in a private manner to discuss these things with them. We need to be doing it in a gentle way and a straightforward way. We're proving them with love. The next command is if your husband is asking you to not tell anyone about his sin and that he's wanting you to lie for him. And the scripture that we have for us is from Ephesians 4.25. It says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And again, whether your husband is a believer or an unbeliever, we cannot promise our husbands that we will cover up their sin and that we will lie for them. And if you've done this before, you need to go to your husbands and you need to explain to them that God's word tells you that this is not the way that you should be living your life. And you should put pressure on your husband to repent. And hopefully he will move forward with making those changes. Here in the word, it says, the scripture is clear that the wife is to be submissive to her husband in all things, unless her husband asks her to sin. A word of caution is in order. Now, ladies, maybe There is something that your husband is asking you to do that you in your mind have told yourself that you don't want to participate in that. And the example that Martha gives is if your husband's asking you to go to a restaurant or to a local bar where they serve alcohol that he's wanting to eat at. And really we have to compare all things to scripture we have to ask ourselves is this really a sin him asking you to go and eat at this particular place and it's not a biblical mandate therefore you as the wife you should graciously go along with him now in the event that they're asking you to go to like I said a strip club or to a restaurant where there are women who are improperly exposed you could obviously go to him and present your reason for why you're not wanting to go there, but then have an alternative for a place that you could go or something that you could go and do with his friends instead of doing the other act, which obviously you would not be able to participate in if it was indeed a sin. Now, if it's not a sin, like Martha had said, you need to take some time to really examine why you're not wanting to go. Maybe it's a strong conviction for you, but it's not sin in and of itself and so it might be your own personal standard but you should go ahead and go along with your husband moving on to principle number two it states a submissive wife is not afraid to do the right thing first peter 3 6 reads thus sarah obeyed abraham calling him lord and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear martha says that wives sometimes face very frightening circumstances because of immorality Physical or verbal abuse, irresponsibility, threats of leaving, or use of alcohol or drugs by their husbands. Anyone might be afraid if their husband were behaving in any of these ways. What can a wife do to overcome her fear? One key to overcoming fear is simply doing what is right. 1 Peter 3 6. For instance, it is right to show God love. By loving your husband. Loving God and others are the two greatest commandments. Most Christians know that they are to show love to God by obeying his word and love to others such as a wife to her husband. But how is this actually done? So again, ladies, are you living in fear because of your husband, because of the circumstances that you may be in, because your husband is an alcoholic or because your husband is addicted to pornography and um. He's irrational at times and asking you to do these things. And when you turn him down, you tell him that I can't do this because that is sinning against God. He gets angry with you. Do you find yourself in some of these situations? So, here are some practical examples for how we can show love. We have to replace fear producing thoughts with love producing thoughts. And so, an example of this is that if your husband is angry with you because he's asked you to not do something, you may be fearful that your husband's going to leave you and you have thoughts that you're not going to be able to get by. Rather than meditate on those thoughts, rather when he gets angry and you're wondering if he wants to leave you, replace it with, I'm going to show love to God and my husband. Whether he leaves me or not, God will give me the grace to get through my husband's anger at that time. We have to take every thought captive and not continue to dwell on events that have taken place. Martha says that in general, a wife shows love to God by obeying him, whether she feels like it or not, even if it means suffering, personal embarrassment, or painful emotions. A wife may also show love to God by thinking true, right, and praiseworthy thoughts. Again, Being a Christian is all about renewing our minds. It is replacing our old way of thinking with God's word. It is not walking by the flesh, but walking by the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We, through prayer, can communicate with God throughout every minute of every single day he will give us the strength and the grace to move forward with being obedient. Martha says that a wife shows love to her husband by not reviewing what he has done wrong over and over in her mind. She also shows love to him by giving him a blessing, even if he does evil against her. So another fear producing thought may be that he's drinking again. What will happen if he loses his job? So could this be a real reality. If your husband is an alcoholic and he continues to show up late to work, could he possibly lose his job? Yes, that very much could happen. But we're told over and over in God's word to not fear, to not worry about tomorrow for today has enough worries of its own. So a love producing thought would rather be it's more important for him to repent than for him to keep his job. Getting fired may be the extra pressure that it takes for God to get his attention. If he loses his job, it will be difficult. However, God will at that time give me the grace to get through it. Ladies, as I'm going through these, I just had a thought come to mind. I recently had listened to a sermon by John MacArthur. He is a pastor out in California. He's been there for, I believe, over 50 years, for five years decades. It is amazing. And I have benefited greatly from his ministry and his teachings. And one thing that he was talking about is that we live in a culture in a world where we want to say that we are Christians, but our lives are not lining up with what God's word actually says. And so this is an example of being what Jesus calls a lukewarm Christian. And so if we're not careful, we could quickly begin to think, is this really that big of a deal? Is treating my husband with respect really that important? Shouldn't I focus on the bigger things like not doing drugs and not stealing and not killing people? This is a wrong way of thinking. And these are the lies that Satan wants us as Christians to get trapped into believing. So we don't want to be lukewarm. We want to either be hot or cold, hopefully not cold, but let's distinguish for ourselves which we are. Are we going to be on fire for the Lord and live by his word, put to death the sin in our lives, renew our minds so that we can be holy as the Lord Jesus is holy because of Christ, not because of anything that we're doing, or are we going to choose to walk in the ways of the world and allow the world's worldly influence to cause us to think in an unbiblical way? way. The choice is yours, ladies, but I really hope that you'll take some time to truly ask yourself this question. If I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that he he died to save me from my sins and that one day I will dwell with God forever, do I really take his word seriously enough that my life is a reflection of that truth? So another fear-producing thought is, what will others think if they find out what he has done? This would be a wrong thought. Let's replace this thought with a love-producing thought, such as, it is the responsibility of others to see this as a sin that is common to man. Hope lies in the fact that it is sin, and he can repent of it and be forgiven. And so if you're wanting to just protect your husband and you're lying for him, you're covering things up, um, you are bluffing about his life. Now, obviously we don't go out and just slander our husbands for no good reason. We should be approaching individuals who we can trust, who we know will actually go to the Lord in prayer about sins that our husbands may be dealing with. But we should encourage our husbands to bring their sin to the light and to lay that burden down at the feet of Jesus, sharing our sins with other Christians so that they can be holding us accountable and praying for us. Martha says a submissive wife is not afraid of doing the right thing. She entrusts herself to God, knowing that in difficulty, God will give her the grace she needs to get through it at that very moment. Time she needs it. Principle number three a wife is to be submissive even if her husband is not a Christian. First Peter 3 1 In the same way, your wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. When I first read this as a new Christian, my eyes were like wow, this makes sense. I don't have to be the Holy Spirit. I have to call upon the Holy Spirit. I have to take the log out of my own eye so that I can see the speck in my brother's eye. And I have to actually live out this truth that God has called me to, not in my own strength, but in the power of the Spirit. And so we have to be submissive to our husbands, even if they are not Christians, because, well, there's a biblical call for us as wives that it says that some of our husbands may be won over without a word by our respectful conduct. Now, Martha goes on to say that we will see in chapter 14 that a husband who is disobedient to the word that he is referred to as an unbeliever, someone who is disobedient to the word. Now, again, as Christians, we are still going to sin. We still fall short of the glory of God, but we have been redeemed. We are new creations. But this doesn't mean that we are going to totally be free of all sin. As Christian women married to unbelievers, it is our responsibility to live a godly life and to respond with our husbands with respect. Our attitudes need to be one that we are for him and not against him. Our husbands, they are not our enemies. We can enjoy our husbands. We can love our husbands. We can think about them and do kind acts for them regardless if they want to go to church with you, if they want to participate in Bible studies with you or pray with you, we can still love them and enjoy them even if they are unbelievers. Sometimes a wife with an unsaved husband is miserable and frustrated because she may have an idolatrous view of what she thinks her marriage should be like. Friends, do you remember after God had taken the Israelites out of Egypt, he had sent these plagues upon the Egyptians and Pharaoh saw all of these miraculous signs take place. He still wouldn't let the people go until the death of the firstborn son. And he basically said, go get. And so the Israelites, they saw God's mighty hand and they crossed through the Red Sea And then as they are getting ready to have Moses go up to receive the commandments on the tablets of stone, as he is up there for 40 days, the people, they forget. They are so quick to forget, and we can relate to them so much because we are also so quick to forget that God is faithful, his word is true, we can trust him. His promises will be fulfilled. But the Israelites, they forgot. So while Moses was up there, Aaron and the people, they began to say, well, we want to make this golden calf. We want something to worship because, well, we don't know where our God is. And so they fashioned this calf in their own image. How often do we find ourselves doing this? What is it that we are putting on the throne of our hearts? What are we making an idol in place of God himself? What is our false savior that we are turning to instead of the Lord Jesus himself? As Christian wives, our frustrations in being married to an unbeliever may be rooted in the fact that we're not getting what we want. Instead of focusing our hearts on the Lord Jesus, worshiping him and serving him, we are focusing instead of making an idol of wanting a Christian marriage. Again, it's not a bad thing to desire a Christian marriage to desire for one's husband to be saved, to desire for your children to be saved or your loved ones around you. But it's when we put those desires above the Lord Jesus himself that they have become an idol. Martha says, as the wife of an unsaved man devotes herself to the Lord, she will respond to her husband with chaste and respectful behavior. It is very likely that her godliness and respect to him will soften his heart towards her. But ladies, in the event that it doesn't and that his heart becomes hardened, you may be put in a situation where your husband wants to leave. And in 1 Corinthians 7.15, it says, Let the unbeliever depart, not because you desire for a divorce, but because in some circumstances the Lord knew that your husband would never repent, that he would never turn to him. And so if you are modeling after Sarah, in that you are obeying your husbands and calling him Lord, and you are doing what is right without being frightened, and you are being submissive to your husbands, showing love and having a chaste and kind, respectful behavior If your husband wants to leave, we cannot force them to stay. Martha shares a story about how several years ago there was a Christian woman who had came into her office for a counseling session, and she was encouraged to really win her husband over without a word to stop nagging at him. And so she began to do that. And this woman ended up getting diagnosed with a terminal cancer. And her husband saw that she drew upon the Lord's strength and the Lord's word is what carried her through. And that wife had the great opportunity to lead her husband to the Lord. They knelt down beside one another And she gave him the gospel so that he accepted Jesus as his own personal Lord and Savior. This woman would go on to go and die to be with the Lord. And Martha says that she thinks about her often. And she thinks about what an example that she set for so many women. We are to be obedient to God by submitting to our husbands in hopes that they will be won over. In hopes that they will come to the Lord. Martha says, in addition to being ready to share her faith, if her husband asks her, the wife of an unbeliever should graciously go places with him and his friends. But remember, draw the line at personal sins, such as getting drunk, lying, sexual sin. And if she must decline, she should do it graciously by saying, thank you for including me. That's not something I can participate in. Perhaps we could go and do... X, Y, and Z. Get creative, ladies, and be prepared when you go out with your husband's friends who perhaps are unbelievers to have conversations that you could talk about with them. You don't have to go out and be witnessing left and right and telling them all about Jesus Christ and how they are sinners who are in need of a Savior. Now listen, if the Holy Spirit leads you to a conversation like that, great. Take advantage of it and, and do so. But oftentimes, we just need to p- meet people right where they're at and love them and enjoy life with them. And when and if the opportunity presents itself, we can share Jesus with them. Principle number four, a submissive wife does not dishonor the word of God. Titus 2, 3 through 5, being subject to her own husband, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Martha says to dishonor is to malign to slander, speak against, or speak of as evil. When a wife is not submissive to her husband, she brings shame to God's word because she is not living up to the standard of God that he's clearly laid out for the godly wife. If she is outwardly expressing faith in Christ, but inwardly has not changed in her heart regarding submission to her husband, she is not submitting to the Lord in that area of her life. Ladies, take a moment to really consider what does your life look like? What does your life look like when you're out and about, when you are at the workplace, when you are at the grocery store, when you are going to worship with the body of Christ, you're spending time with them, going to outings and things like that? And then what does your life look like whenever you are inside the walls of your own home? How does your heart reflect God's truth? And maybe from the outside even within the walls of your home it appears that you are being submissive to your husband but if your thoughts are not lining up with what god's word says it tells us that we are not submitting to the lord in this area wives are to be subject to your own husbands as is fitting to the lord and anything other than godly submission is not fitting or proper for a christian wife since it dishonors god and his word And then principle number five, a wise wife will seek training and counsel on submission from a godly older woman. Again, in Titus 2 through 5, it says older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips nor slanders to much wine, teaching what is good that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Martha says that most of the time when an older woman disciplines a younger woman, she will have a tremendous influence on the younger woman either for good or evil. Unfortunately, it's not uncommon for younger women to be drawn into mysticism, worldly philosophies, misperceptions of the character God, a wrong view of the doctrine of sanctification, or even influenced to turn against their husbands. Because of those dangers, it would be wise for churches to develop a ministry to teach the older women how and what to teach the younger women. Part of this instruction involves the older women instructing the younger women in what she is doing wrong biblically. If the younger woman is wise, she will listen to the life-giving reproof and eventually acquire wisdom. Martha has listed for us here 11 specific ways that wives are not submissive to their husbands. So as we go through this list, I pray that you would just take some time to think about areas that you need to ask the Lord to help you to renew your mind and to put on truth to walk in newness of life. So number one, she does things that are annoying or vexing to her husband. Proverbs twenty one nineteen. It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. She says, vexing means irritating, annoying, puzzling, baffling, bothersome, and will debate at length. The scriptures say that it's better for a man to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman woman number 2 she does not discipline the children as she should even after after her husband has asked her to in proverbs 29:15 the rod and reproof give wisdom but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother number 3 she is more loyal to others than to her husband proverbs 31:11 the heart of her husband trusts in her he will have no lack of gain. Are you more faithful to your co workers, to your other family members, to the church members, and yet you find yourself being disrespectful and disloyal to your husband? Probably need to check yourself. Number four, she argues or pouts or gives him the cold shoulder when she does not get her own way. Proverbs 21 9, it is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman harsh but truth number five she does not stay within the limits of their budget proverbs nineteen fourteen. house and wealth are an inheritance from fathers but a prudent wife is from the lord number six she corrects interrupts talks for her husband and is too outspoken when others are around Proverbs twenty-seven, fifteen and 16. A constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. He who restrains her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. Number seven, she manipulates him to get her own way. She may manipulate by deceit, tears, begging, nagging, complaining, anger, or intimidation. Martha tried to manipulate Jesus when she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone, then tell her to help me? Luke 10:40. Number 8: She makes important decisions without consulting him. 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Martha says that on occasion, husbands will instruct his wife that in certain areas she is to make the decisions, in those cases, when authority is delegated to her, she then has the freedom to choose. Otherwise, he should be consulted in all matters that are important to him, and she should submit to his headship. Number nine, nine. she directly defies his wishes. 1 Samuel fifteen twenty three. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. 10. She worries about the decisions he makes and takes matters into her own hands. Philippians 4, 7, and 8. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So how he takes care of the kids, ladies, whenever you're gone at work or to an outing. Are you constantly correcting him? Are you constantly overseeing him? Perhaps he may be having them watch more TV than you would like or having them eat more junk food than you would like, but it's not our job to be constantly correcting him and trying to take matters into our own hands. And 11, she does not pay attention to what he says, James 1 but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. Are they having requests that you are simply just throwing under the rug because you don't think that they are important? This is wrong. Martha says, in summary, submission is the way that all Christians should respond to God and the way the wife should respond to her husband. She can respond with tenderness, gentleness, and gracious obedience, or she can respond with harshness or irritation. In the areas where you know you have failed, you should take a few minutes and confess your sin to the Lord. Then go to your husband and ask for his forgiveness. It may be best for you to be specific and give examples. Your attitude should be humble, focusing at this time on what you have done wrong. You can begin today to have a gentle, godly, submissive wife for your husband. It is the heart of God for you. Glad that you all could join me today as we went through chapter 13 talking about biblical submission next week we will come back with chapter 14 talking about God's provision resources for the wife's protection until next time I hope that you have a blessed weekend and I'll talk to you soon